0: Our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of John, the 20th chapter, 19 through 23. It's a continuation of last week's reading, the Easter story. and um, You already heard actually the first uh, verse, and we continue it today. So just a reminder, it's still Easter day in this reading. It's just later on in the day. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met, were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was frustrated that, that I wasn't getting to the gym to work out as often as I wanted to. A yoga class on Fridays, once or twice a week in the weight room, 20 or 30 minutes here or there on the elliptical Too often, my desire to go at least three times a week would get cut down to twice or even just once. So I came up with a plan. Any day that I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to make it to the gym, I would try to do something at home in the morning. Now, I didn't have much space for a full workout and no real equipment to speak of. So I decided I would simply start doing push-ups on the floor next to our bed And then I'd follow that up with a few yoga moves, down dogs, up dogs, planks, things like that. It was an easy thing to add to my morning routine because it never took more than three or four minutes to accomplish. Now, to track my progress, I decided that I would only do as many push-ups as I could do at one time without stopping to rest. No pause, just continuous, full-on push-ups. I remember when I started. It was 11 years ago, 2011. And on that first day of my plan, I did about 20 push-ups before fatigue set in and made me want to stop and take a break. And I thought, you know, that's not bad for a first try, but I'll probably be able to add a whole bunch more really soon. Well, I quickly found out that those next one or two or three were really hard to come. And I was starting to begin to think that maybe this was more of a mental issue than a physical one, that I needed to just take mind over matter. So the very next day, I decided I'm going to do 30 push-ups. And guess what? I did 30 push-ups. And a few weeks later, I decided, you know what? I bet I can do 40 push-ups. And guess what? I did 40 push-ups. And then a few months later, I decided, I bet I can do 50 push-ups. And guess what? I did 50 push-ups. And I started to realize that I was setting my goals too low, because strength leads to strength leads to more strength. Now, have I added any days to my life or made my life better because of all these push-ups? I have No way of knowing what effect it's had on my life because, and this is important, because I did it and I'm still doing it. I will never know the alternative timeline of a life lived without those probably 75,000 push-ups at this point. I can only assume that it was a better plan to have tried than to not have tried at all. But we're not talking about strengthening our bodies this morning. We're supposed to be talking about strengthening community. The idea of community comes from a sense of responsibility that we have for each other. I was searching for information on building stronger communities, and it distressed me that most of the information, in English at least, was from Canada. Sure, Canadians have a reputation for being kind and welcoming, but Are we as Americans not really interested in building stronger communities? Here at Emanuel United Methodist Church, we've been on an intentional quest to open ourselves up and open our building up to our community, to become more welcoming, more inviting, more useful. And our ministry teams have been thinking of ways that we can connect (coughs) and invite our community into these new spaces that we've built. And we've had several ideas in the works. One of them was jumping at a chance to uh, be an election location for our community. Robin and I got these postcards in the mail a few days ago. It's from the election commission announcing that our polling place has been moved here to Emanuel due to redistricting. Now I have to be honest, we live on the north side of Poplar up near the Wolf River, and I was not expecting to be voting at Emanuel. Is it convenient for me? Absolutely. Does it mean that a whole new swath of Memphis may discover us for the first time? Yes. Is that enough to make a difference? Probably not, but it's a start. Our two scripture readings this morning speak to strengthening community really well, even if at first glance it's not obvious. Psalm 1 says, and this is the psalm that sets the stage for all the other psalms to follow can be summed up like this. People who are open to God's instruction are like trees transplanted beside a source of water. They are never without a resource to sustain their lives, namely God's life-giving instruction. They maintain their deep-rootedness under any circumstance. And as a result of their life's connection with God, the source of life, they take delight in the teachings of God and find happiness and life. Psalm 1 is an encouragement toward community, but specifically God's community. And then there's this remarkable scripture in the Gospel of John. On first reading, I immediately noticed two things. First, you can't keep Jesus out. You can't shut him out. The door is locked, but he shows up anyway. And the second thing that I noticed is Jesus' scars. In fact, in every one of the four Gospels after rising from the dead, Jesus still has scars from the crucifixion. There's something real about a person with scars, whether seen or unseen. There's a story that says, against all odds, I have overcome and I'm still here. In fact, Jesus is stronger because of his scars. His witness is greater because he still has the marks of what he endured. We worship a God who has scars, and that's significant. Frederick Buechner says, Jesus is apt to come into the very midst of life at its most real and inescapable, not in a blaze of unearthly light, not in the midst of a sermon. Not in the throes of some kind of religious daydream, but at supper time or walking along a road. Now, this is the element of all the stories about Christ's return to to life that that they have in common. Mary waiting at the empty tomb and suddenly turning around to see somebody standing there. Somebody she thought at first was the gardener. All the disciples except Thomas hiding out in a locked house and then his coming and standing in their midst. And later, when Thomas was there, Jesus coming again and standing in their midst. Peter taking his boat back out after a night at sea, and there on the shore near a little fire of coals, a familiar figure asking, children, have you any fish? And the two men at Emmaus who knew him in the breaking of the bread. Jesus never approached from on high, but always in the midst, in the midst of people in the midst of real life and the questions that real life asks. The thing which stuns me about Jesus in this text is that he holds no grudges when he has every right to do so. Jesus had every right to be disgusted with his disciples. Some had betrayed and denied him. Others, John being the exception, hid during the crucifixion and ran to a locked room because they were afraid. I think, however, they were afraid because they felt guilty. They had not defended Jesus. They ran when they knew they should have stayed. Jesus had taught them better than that, but they folded. What must have been overwhelming to them, however, was the fact that he said, shalom, peace to them. He said it three times. They might have expected a lecture from him, You're fine, fair-weather friends. I thought I could count on you. Instead, you turned out to be faithless cowards. See these pierced hands and sides? What did you do about this? But instead, he greeted them just like old times. He said, shalom, the traditional greeting of peace, which showed all was well. What impact do you think that had on the disciples gathered there? He gave them a gift, a gift of peace. And I'm pretty sure words they had heard him say before came flooding back, washing over them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. How can disciples who have witnessed total defeat and who were consequently living in fear regain their faith with just a few words. Can words create courage and faith where there is none? Peace? These were men who had been called to be his followers once before, at the fishing boats in Capernaum, under the fig tree. He had shared everything with them for three years, but now they've let him down. Most of us would have called them bad hires. But Jesus doesn't fire them. In fact, he comes back and hires them a second time. He doubles down. He commissions them and sends them out, such as they are. And then Jesus gave them a second gift as they were gathered in that locked room, the gift of purpose. He said, I send you into the world. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. First peace and now purpose. But there's more. Then Jesus gave the disciples one more gift. He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is John's version of Pentecost. There's no rowdy crowd, no tongues of fire, just a resurrected Savior who can pass through walls, breathing the Spirit into tired, fearful bodies. What's the third gift, you ask? It's power. You know that scene in the movie Karate Kid where Daniel complains to Mr. Miyagi that he's broken his promise to teach him karate? That he hasn't learned anything because Mr. Miyagi has just been using him for free labor around the house? Making him sand the deck and paint the fence and wash and wax those many vintage cars Mr. Miyagi seems to have. And in that dramatic scene, Mr. Miyagi says, show me sand the floor. Show me wax on, wax off. Show me paint the fence. And as Daniel goes through the motions, he discovers that Mr. Miyagi has made good on his promise. Through his painting and waxing and sanding, he's been doing the basic motions of karate hundreds, if not thousands of times, until they had become second nature. Daniel was ready without realizing it. The training was already done, and now it just had to be put into practice. Jesus understood how to strengthen a community, and it obviously worked. The disciples got what they needed because everything that begins to happen after Jesus appears to them in that locked room is an outward expansion of the kingdom of God. We are sitting in this room today because those disciples somehow overcame their fears and failures and did what Jesus asked them to do. The training was already done, it just had to be put into practice. We will never know an alternative timeline of the disciples staying hidden in that room because they were strong enough to come out and do what needed to be done. They knew the peace of Christ, the purpose of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Knock on any door in your community, Gordon Lathrop says, and you'll find some kind of agony. We are called to knock, emboldened by the knowledge that we bear the peace and purpose and power of one who bears the scars of his own pain, but who can pass through walls. We knock, empowered by the one who has never been locked out. He is the one who stands in any fearful situation with any fearful soul bringing peace and purpose and power. I've said it before, but to love our neighbors is to want the same things for them that we want for ourselves. So if that's true, then how does that translate into strengthening our community? Well, we start by asking the question, what do we want for ourselves? It's an important question to ask. In fact, I'd say, if we're going to discuss strengthening community, then it should be the question we ask. Are we looking for acceptance, some kind of knowledge, a leg up, connection, a place where we feel safe, where we feel nurtured? What do we dream about? What do we wish for our neighbors? What can we do for our community? The possibilities are nearly endless, but we know there's more to do if we're serious about being the church for this neighborhood and beyond. Our happiness is all mixed up with each other's happiness and our peace with each other's peace. Our own happiness and our own peace can never be complete, can never be complete until we find some way of sharing it with people who have no happiness and know no peace. Jesus calls us to show this truth forth and to to live this truth forth. Can you imagine if we, the people called Emmanuel, were the reason that people wanted to live in this neighborhood? Do we dare to dream of that world? A church, a congregation that shapes and orders the life of its community for the betterment of everybody? Peace. Purpose power. Is that the secret to strengthening community? Well, it's actually more. I think it's those three in tandem with the others, each one building on the next. Remember that Jesus entered that locked room full of a bunch of scared folks and said, peace be with you. Do we know Christ's peace? And then he reminded them that they had a purpose to fulfill. Do we know our purpose? And then he gave them the power that comes through the Holy Spirit to achieve all that they needed to do. And the amazing thing is, they did it. Can we do it, too? Do we possess the power that comes from knowing Christ's peace? And understanding God's purposes? Once we've tapped into that power, we will get stronger. The more sincerely we work towards strengthening our community, the easier it will be to do what needs to be done. Peace leads to purpose, purpose to power, power to strength. One morning, as I was face down on the floor next to my bed, it hit me. I remember how hard it used to be in the early days of my fitness plan to do those first 20 push ups. But now that I'm doing 50 or more, the first 20 are so easy. They're nothing. But I always have to get through the first 20 to get to the next 20. Strength leads to more strength. So now when I do my push ups, I celebrate the first 20. I celebrate that I have more stamina, more ability, more resilience. Emmanuel, we've done the hard work. We've laid the foundation. We've gotten really good at those first 20. We deserve to celebrate them. And even though we aren't immune from tough circumstances, I know that without a doubt that we are stronger than we think we are. Deep down, we already know what we have to do. We know what it's going to take. We've been exercising the right muscles all along. We've just got to put them into practice. The good news is, Jesus doesn't need us to open the door. He just shows up in our midst. Peace be with you.